Welcome, welcome, welcome in to Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kinney, a snowy Monday morning for us here in Fort Wayne. Thanks for being with us. Drive safe if you're out there on the roads. A looks ton. Like a snow globe outside. Yeah. I mean, it looks nice. I got up, was getting ready, and it was just raining. And when I was leaving, it was snowing. It's coming down pretty good, so... Uh, it's supposed to be a uh, interesting day of weather, so the further north you are, the more snow you'll get, sounds like. It'll be windy, so be careful. You're out on the roads today. A lot to get to over the course of the weekend in sports, but first, you have a good weekend, Justin? Uh, another weekend of working. I'm looking <laughs> forward to having a couple weekends without work coming up over the next two weekends. So, no, it was good. I know um, there was a lot going on. The world of sports, especially Saturday, the Colts and Purdue and Indiana. I'm sure we'll talk about all three. Yes, we will talk about all three. We'll get to the Colts after headlines. Also, we'll talk about Purdue. Uh, they will likely move back to number one in the polls. IU, meanwhile, had their chances against number two Kansas, just could not close. Uh, and in hour number two, uh, we'll talk about the latest for the Colts in the playoff picture. Also, Purdue passes yet another poll test. And why Saturday's loss will make it even tougher to, for IU to get an NCAA tournament berth. We'll talk about all mm. that in hour number two. Plus an albino deer. Uh-oh. Yeah. And not the, like, the, the, what it starts with, like, an L, right? The, ooh, you know what I'm talking about? The leucistic, that's what There it is. you go. Yeah, not, not that. An actual al- albino deer, so... We've had albino gators, right? We've had... Yeah. What was the other albino was animal? Was it a uh, whale? May have been. I think I've seen that. But uh, albino deer. Yes. Hopefully nobody hit it. <laughs> yeah, no. Thankfully no one did yet. Yeah, uh, but, yet. <laughs> we'll get to all that in hour number two. 46862 is how you reach us on the text line number. Again, 46862. Uh, just put in CK before your message. And we'll get to it throughout the course of the show this morning. Also, don't forget, you can stream us 1380thefan.com via the 1380 The Fan app or on your smart speaker. That is all free for you to listen. All right. Headlines this morning over the weekend. Of course, we start in the NFL. And last night, the Ravens took care of business against the Jaguars 23-7. to But notable coming out of that one, once again, Trevor Lawrence hurt. It was revealed after the game that uh, Lawrence was placed into concussion protocol um, after the loss on Sunday night. Uh, Lawrence hurt on a scramble in the Jaguars' final possession. Uh, in fact, they believed that it came when he had an intentional grounding penalty come against him. So uh, Lawrence has not missed a start. Remember, he played with that ankle injury last week, so it's been a streak of 48 consecutive starts. And look, we're getting down to crunch time in the AFC South, and... We have a logjam of teams now at the top. No, not ideal. And then all of a sudden we look at the standings and who's tied for first without factoring in the tiebreakers is the Indianapolis Colts. Yeah. So the playoff picture tightening in the AFC South. And and this goes back to, I think, something, and we'll talk more about this in hour number two, but at, at this point it feels like whoever wins the division, obviously they're in. If you don't win the division... 
Feels like you're out. playing with fire. You're probably out. Exactly. Especially with the way Buffalo's playing. They're still not in the playoffs, but back-to-back wins over Kansas City and now Dallas yesterday in convincing fashion. They're on the rise for sure. So I think you better win the AFC South if you want to ensure you're going to be in the playoffs. Yeah, let's talk about the Bills uh, while we're at it. Buffalo gets the win over the Cowboys. Easy blowout victory. Once again, the Cowboys, all their success was coming at home. And I think people lost sight of that it's bad during all these blowouts. Or at least mediocre teams. Yes. They 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 did have a couple of good home wins. I mean, they beat the Eagles and blew them out at home. But beyond that... Which I think is their first their, and their only win over a team that's over 500 correct. this season. But I just think people lost sight of the fact that the Cowboys were doing all their damage at home. They play a competent team on the road. And this is what happens and so, a desperate team too i mean desperate yes. last week with with buffalo and then especially this week to put themselves back in position to potentially make the playoffs i i i uh i texted a buddy of mine that's a dallas cowboys fan I'm like you're setting yourself up for another divisional round loss is what i see for the dallas cowboys so congratulations you'll win the division but i just don't have high hopes for the cowboys in the playoffs especially if they don't have home field advantage which yes. that Pretty much all but eliminated them, it feels like, what happened on Sunday. James Cook ran for 179 and a touchdown for Buffalo. Josh Allen, just 7-15, 94 yards, a touchdown, no picks, but it was the running game as the Bills ran for 266 yards and three touchdowns in this game uh, to put away the Cowboys. 71% of Buffalo's play calls were designed runs. That's the highest uh, average of the season for the Buffalo Bills, demoralizing if you are Dallas Cowboys defense that has is, is supposed to be really good, yet just got ran over. Uh, 266 yards on the ground combined for Buffalo, just 94 yards passing for Josh Allen, a dominant performance by James Cook and the Buffalo Bills to take care of the Dallas Cowboys. Meanwhile, the Chicago Bears once again snatched defeat oh, from the jaws of victory. You gotta love it. Falling 20-17 to 17 to the Browns. Um, this was a winnable game. Browns get a late field goal. Bears couldn't muster enough offense to get in position at the end. The Bears have now lost three games this year where they've led by 10 or more points in the fourth quarter. I think I've made money on all three of them. 17-7 <laughs> yesterday? Yes. Give me, give me the Cleveland Browns at plus 350. And one without... This is what was crazy. Joe Flacco looked as bad as bad can be in this first half of this game. And he finished with 374 yards passing. Amari Cooper with a big day. Um, You looked at uh, David Njoku had a big game as well. The tight end that's really had a breakout season in a lot of ways. And the Bears just once again found a way to lose a game that they shouldn't. Just 236 yards of total offense. Cleveland's defense is very good. I get it. But... I saw a headline laying in bed last night, and and it's it's what it's what Ryan Poles needs to ask himself, the GM of the Chicago Bears, is do you want to put your trust in in your career in Matt Eberflus and Luke Getze, and to a certain extent Justin Fields? Is that who you want to go to bat with going forward with your job on the line? Because make no mistake, if the Bears don't turn it around the next couple of years, Ryan Poles is going to be gone. So is that, and, and all three of those guys, uh, other than Eberflus, he hired Eberflus, but didn't draft Justin Fields. Is he comfortable in relying on those guys to perform 
over the next couple years. Because if they don't, it's going to be his job. It's on the line. Bears defense played really good again yesterday. If you hold a team to 20 points, you should be able to win in the NFL. Not anymore. <laughs> that uh, seems, so I mean, you, scoring is, is going down. It's It used to be a, almost a, a, a given, right? But True. We, we've seen a 3-0 game this year. I was a 9-7 game yesterday with, with Carolina getting win number two. But it was just another game that, that the Bears found a way to lose in the fourth quarter. And I knew it was going to happen. That's why I made money on it. So <laughs> uh, just a, another piss-poor performance by the Bears in the second half. Led 17-7 to in the third quarter. Found a way to lose. I mean, it was 17-7, to I want to say, with like eight or nine minutes to go in the game and found a way to lose. It was uh, It was ugly. But if you're a Bears fan... You're used to this. Meanwhile, the Dolphins get an easy win over the Jets, 30 to nothing notable in this one. Raheem Mostert set the uh, Dolphins' uh, record for single-season uh, touchdowns at 20. So former Purdue Boilermaker just continued to have a spectacular season, really a spectacular NFL career. Not even Daryl Hazel could slow him down. <laughs> Ouch. Very true. Uh, can I ask... A- Okay, the New York Jets, there's talk that Aaron Rodgers could play on Christmas Eve. Oh, come on. Uh, even if he does, like, wh- wh- in what world do people live in that think that Aaron Rodgers, an over-the-hill Aaron Rodgers, is having any impact on the New York Jets? Let alone first game coming off an injury. They're terrible. The Jets are terrible. Aaron Rodgers is not the quarterback he used to be, yet there's this continued hype machine led by national media about Aaron Rodgers potentially coming back to the Jets. Oh my gosh, what's it? they're five and nine. He's just an idiot if he comes back. He risks injury. He's not going to be 100% when he comes back. And he's just rushing through his rehab to try to come back for a five and nine football team. I think he knows his, his, uh, his days are numbered in the NFL and wants to try to get maximum amount of playing time when he can. But can we just not... I just wish people would would just, we don't care. I don't care if Aaron Rodgers plays on Christmas Eve. I don't care. The Jets are terrible. He's over the hill. And that was proven again yesterday with the Jets and just an absolute beatdown in Miami. See, I just don't talk about him. Like, that's what, that's, that's how I show so yeah, It's my fault for <laughs> yeah. talking about Yeah, him. you brought it up. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Meanwhile, a team who didn't play, a final headline I want to get to in the NFL uh, from yesterday, the Eagles, who play tonight against the Seahawks on Monday Night Football, uh, Philly made a change at defensive coordinator. This is fascinating. They've replaced uh, Sean Desai with Matt Patricia. Now Desai is still with the team in a different capacity, but Patricia now runs and calls the defense. Hmm. A little weird, huh? Yeah. Very weird. Well, I mean, Philly had struggled against the 49ers and the Cowboys, but it, they've had issues throughout the season that since week eight, they are last in the NFL in third down defense and red zone defense, allowing a league high 428 yards per game and 297 passing yards per game. They're 31st in the league in points allowed and have allowed 30 plus points in three consecutive games for the first time since 1967. So it was a bad string of games for Philly and they will take on Seattle tonight on the road in Monday night football it's interesting that he, Desai was demoted, not fired, and I, I think it's a, it's a solid promotion for Matt Patricia. I mean, he's a dude that really performed well as an assistant, as a coordinator in New England. But you look at who they play. They 
they played at Dallas, San Francisco, and the Bills. Yeah, but the problem is you're going to have to play those teams in the playoffs, at least True. two of the three. So you better have a better performance in the playoffs. So I understand the move. Uh, there are high expectations, lofty expectations in Philly for a team that looks to return to the Super Bowl and win it this year. I get the move. You have you bring in Matt Patricia for a reason, and that is as backup if Sean Desai struggles, and he has struggled. Uh, I don't mind the move at all. When you have high aspirations, lofty expectations, you make moves like this. Continuing on in headlines uh, in college football, Tom Allen. Yes, former Indiana coach, a report that he's closing in on a deal to be the Penn State defensive coordinator. No surprise he's laning a job, let alone a high-profile one. Uh, there's a, a Penn State connection, a, a guy who played under Tom Allen uh, on the Penn State staff, on the defensive staff, who was a player under Tom Allen when he was head coach at Ben Davis High School in Indianapolis back in the day. So, uh, But hopefully this goes through. Uh, best of luck to Tom Allen. Obviously, we knew he'd get a, a D.C. job pretty quickly, but this is, I think, even bigger than I would have expected. I, I would argue that this is his biggest job of his career, including Indiana head coach, mm-hmm. because he was a defensive coordinator at Indiana and South Florida before getting the Hoosiers head coaching job. And I would say being a coordinator at Penn State is a bigger deal than being the head football coach at Indiana. And we knew that Tom Allen has the acumen to be a really good defensive coordinator. He's just not a head coach. So it's good good to see him. And Tom Allen's a good dude. As much as we as we dogged him on this show, by all indications, a good guy, just not a head coach, and lands on his feet in Happy Valley with the Nittany Lions. Absolutely. Continuing on uh, with IU in the headlines, and that is the fact that Donovan McCauley coming back to Indiana, the star wide receiver. This was kind of teased, and it did happen. IU able to get up several other commitments over the weekend as well uh, for the class of 2024. Trent Holland, running back, also coming back. So After he had committed to Minnesota, right? Yes, and he, he mentioned it was some sort of personal matter, and he's not going to go into any further details. It's a, it's a good sign when you're bringing back some talent that had initially went into the portal. And I think maybe we're, we're quick to judge and say, well, as soon as kids go into the portal, they're leaving. That hasn't been the case for several players now for the Hoosiers. It's good to see them to get some talent back and also bringing some in when you talk about um, Trey Wedig from Wisconsin and Justice Ellison from Wake Forest. So this team needs an infusion of talent. I've said the, the James Madison right, uh, route isn't really exciting to me, but bringing back some players that were impact dudes for you and have opportunities to be impact guys for, for the next couple years for the Hoosiers is a, is a big deal. So it's good to see. A couple of headlines here locally. First off, Ayana Patterson, former Homestead star in uh, basketball, former Miss Basketball. Uh, she is going to miss the remainder of the season at UConn. Uh, she had surgery on her left knee on Thursday but she's not appeared in a game this season. She's been dealing with patellar tendonitis since high school. So um, they're trying to take care of that issue, and hopefully she'll be back and ready to go next season. Came off the bench as a true freshman last year, averaged a couple points per game, but as you mentioned, hadn't played this year. So shutting it down, hoping to get to 100% for next season. So good luck, Ayanna Patterson. Absolutely. And then meanwhile, Jimmy Sullivan, uh, of Carroll, he has made his commitment, the class of 2025 quarterback. 
um, he will go to Iowa. Yeah, I talked to Jimmy yesterday at uh, OPS during the day job and talked to him. Really likes Ken O'Keefe, the quarterback's coach at Iowa. He said he went to a, a game day experience in Iowa City. It blew him away. And uh, he's all he's all in on the Hawkeyes, man. I mean, they don't have a deep quarterback depth chart either at this point. So he sees opportunity there. He feels comfortable there. He really likes the atmosphere there as well. So uh, Jimmy committing to the Hawkeyes over the season to over the uh, weekend to join Kirk Ferentz's team. Offensive coordinator TBA. Yeah, I was going to say, who's the coordinator now? And talk it's to obviously him and not like, Brian Ferentz. He's like, yeah, we still need to hire a coordinator, but he really likes uh, the quarterback's coach out there, uh, Kirk Ferentz as well, and the game day atmosphere out at Iowa City. So congratulations to Jimmy Sullivan. Absolutely. And then final headline here locally that we want to get to before we talk Colts and Steelers. The Comets, huge bounce back weekend. They get all six points over the course of the weekend. And also a great performance from Carl Berglund, who scored the second Comets hat trick of the season yesterday. So the K's again get the sweep, get all six points. They go outside the division, and suddenly things are looking back up. All the way up to second place now in the Central, trailing Toledo. It's what the Comets had to do. They played a team in Utah that had not yet won on the road all season, and they get three at home against the Grizzlies took care of business, did what they needed to do. It was a, a great um, uh, honor on Friday night, putting a, a banner up in the rafters for Michael Franke. And the, the team played energized on Friday, had a couple lackadaisical periods on Saturday and Sunday, but were still able to win those games. And, uh, and I really like those all-white uniforms. I don't know about you. Uh, those were a they're, really they're clean. clean look. Yeah, yeah, I really liked them, and I know they auctioned them off for charity uh, yesterday after Sunday's win. Uh, I, I wouldn't mind seeing those again. I wouldn't. Uh, I, I'm sure the the K's wouldn't mind wearing them either with three dubs wearing the clean whites over the weekend. Four six eight six two is your text line number. Four six eight six two. If you have thoughts on the Colts or the Comets, let us know on the text line. And speaking of the Colts. Colts melt down the Steelers over the weekend. It was ugly to start in this game as the Colts fell behind pretty quickly, 13 to nothing. And it was all Colts after that, despite so many obstacles coming in the Colts way. Uh, you have Zach Moss go down with an arm injury on the same arm that he broke in, in the preseason uh, on a touchdown scoring play that made it 13-7. Uh, you have... Let's see. Among other injuries, Michael Pittman Jr. with that nasty concussion after a very dirty play. Yeah, that was a dirty hit. Really uh, dirty. Not, not sure what else to say on that one, but he was out. So the Colts weathered the storm. Guys you've probably not heard of or forgot about, Trey Sermon, who's kind of bounced around with the team this year. Um, he chipped in at running back along with Tyler Goodson, former Iowa star. Uh, also had a good performance. Then you throw in on, on the passing game, DJ Montgomery, two catches, 48 yards, a touchdown as well. So guys stepped up with this Colts team, and Mitch Trubisky, meanwhile, could not to the point that he got benched right before the final series of the game. Told you so. This you is, did. This is what how it goes with my man Mitch is um, made mistakes. Even when they scored their initial touchdown, he couldn't even score it. He fumbled the football. Najee Harris recovered for the touchdown <laughs> from the one. Um 
This is a game that I, I felt really confident with the Colts because of playing Mitch Trubisky. He's incapable of beating a decent team, especially on the road. And the Indianapolis Colts offense, I think, was very impressive with the depleted cast, as you mentioned. Gardner Minshew, three touchdown passes, no picks, ties his career high in, in touchdowns in a game. Uh, Michael Pittman was affected before he went out. Um, I thought that um, DJ Montgomery was really solid. Mo Alley Cox, uh, just a balanced effort. And if, if I'm a Colts fan, I mean, sitting at eight and six, regardless of what happens the rest of the way, of course, you'd love to win the AFC South, make the playoffs, etc. I just, it would be difficult for me to find any type of negative with this season, other than the Anthony Richardson injury. But and we've talked about it before when we felt like the best thing for Anthony Richardson would have been to watch and learn. And it came in a roundabout way with getting hurt. But I think it's a benefit to him to watch and learn this year. And the development of the Indianapolis Colts young core that will be around Anthony Richardson going forward has been tremendous. I mean, never in a million years did I think the Colts would get to eight wins. And here they are with three games left. I mean, they could win 11 games if, if they go 3-0. I don't, I don't think they're going 3-0, but they could get to double-digit wins if they yeah. go 2-1. and 2-1 is very much on the table. I'd be surprised if they go 3-0 to close it out just because one of those games is uh, the, the Houston Texans and what to me is like a de facto playoff game in Week 18. But the, the Colts offensively and... You know, I think we also went into the season with Anthony Richardson thinking that there may be a lot of moments where he doesn't look quite ready, but he looked ready from the jump. So, I mean, yes, you'd rather have him out there because he was ready. It never felt like he was out of control or in over his head running the offense, but the injury is what it is. You'll get him back next year. Michael Pittman Jr., I mean, pre-injury, I will say this, the guy clearly knows he's in a contract here, right? Because he's playing out of his mind this season. I went over 1,000 yards already. In fact, that happened on Saturday in that game. So going to break 100 receptions most likely as well. But not having him next week, that is one thing to to keep in mind, right? As far as the concussion protocol and, and something to keep in mind is key injuries, right? Are playing a role in this AFC South race. You have Trevor Lawrence. Had the ankle injury. Now he has a concussion. You have Michael Pittman Jr. with the concussion. And then obviously we, we saw Avalon C.J. Stroud last week and he was out this week. So you never know, but at least the Colts are, are playing very middling teams outside of the Texans to close it out. And we'll see what happens in their push for a playoff berth. Remember, they, they, they've lost both games to Jacksonville, so the, tie, the, the tiebreaker goes to Jacksonville in that respect. We'll see what happens with, with Houston as well, but I, man, I just look at this Colts team, and I still don't think Michael Pittman's a one, but he's playing very, very good football. But all of a sudden, you're looking at the Colts, and you say they don't need to make maybe wholesale uh, changes in terms of free agency. What they need to bring in is guys that put them over the hump, that take them to the next level. I don't think we look at this Colts team and say that they're a contender in the AFC yet, but all of a sudden you think they could be sooner than expected. I think the big question is, is can Anthony Richardson bring that dynamic ability of his that he showed flashes of and take this offense to the next level? Because as good as Gardner Minshew has been, we know his limitations and what he can't do. 
and the expectation and the hope for Colts fans is what he can't do, Anthony Richardson can't. Well, I think also when you look at the Colts on Saturday, you lose Zach Moss. You'd already struggled running the football the previous two games without Jonathan Taylor to begin with. Then you're thinking, oh, no, like it's it's happening again. And instead, you get two guys come in. I mean, Trey Sermon's gotten a few reps. Tyler Goodson, what, sign, sign off the practice squad. Yeah. And you run for 170 yards against a, a Steelers defense that is more of a bend-don't-break kind of defense, right, that – they're good at scoring defense, but you look at the yardage and it's kind of middling. Right. But the Colts broke through and the Colts took advantage of that. And so back to the roster, yes, there are pieces. It, the Colts were never as bad as they were last season, right? Correct. Like I don't think anyone believed that they were that bad. Think about all the games that they blew. I mean, the Minnesota game, the Dallas game. Um, In comedic fashion, by Yes. The way. Like they were in those games until, until late in the game, and then it just completely turned around. But to me, this is a roster that is obviously an elite starting quarterback away, and then they they still need some other pieces. You need more at wide receiver, and and Josh Downs is helping this year, right? Having a guy in the slot, um, Alec Pierce, if he could consistently show up, I think would be helpful. And then you definitely need more in terms of the secondary just because of all the injuries they face. And I think it's getting there, but again, they're not that far away, but the problem is the biggest question mark is quarterback, right? And the reality is you don't have a quarterback. You don't have a chance at a super bowl in the NFL. Four, six, eight, six, two, the text line, four, six, eight, six, two, our buddy Ryan Eaton on the Twitter line. Makes a good point, again, about Shane Steichen being coach of the year. And it's amazing what a good hire can do to make you look competent. And I'm talking about you, Chris Ballard, is being able to hire a guy that can take the roster that you've assembled and turn it into a winning team, into an eight-win team right now. I mean, Shane Steichen, in my opinion, is, is the coach of the year in the NFL because this was a team that was supposed to be in the running for another top five, top seven draft pick. And instead, we wake up this morning with them tied for first in the AFC South. And it's been a tremendous performance. And 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 you really didn't have any big impact players come in, to be honest. I mean, Shane Steichen was the biggest offseason addition by far for the Indianapolis Colts. Um, or other than you can argue maybe Gardner Minshew. But it's amazing what you can do when you have a competent head coach who knows what he is doing. And that's clearly the case with Shane Steichen and the Colts are benefiting from it. And and in my opinion, yes, he is coach of the year and the Colts who would have thunk at this point uh, entering the final week before Christmas, that the Colts would be in decent position to compete for a playoff spot couple of stats from Saturday. Colts defense got a takeaway for the 19th straight game. Longest active streak in the NFL. Also had four sacks against Pittsburgh. That tied the 2005 and 1989 Colts teams for the most sacks in a single season during the Indianapolis era of the franchise. And also of note, uh, or actually no, yeah, those are the, the two kind of interesting stats. So Colts defense, look, the pass rush, right? We talked about the pass rush. You get Grover Stewart back, 
There's really no concerns about the pass rush, pass rush anymore. Go figure. No, not at all. Not at this point. Uh, once again, Trey Sermon, 17 rushes, 88 yards. He had 11 rushes all season long prior to Saturday's game. And the Colts now too short of a single season franchise record in sacks. They had three on Saturday. They have 45 overall. And I think as... Wait, wait, what? Huh? Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, this this Indianapolis Colts team. No, I just said, though, that they had four on Saturday. Ah. And they, they set the... Did they? Well, I'm reading off CBS Sports and said too short of a new single season franchise record. Who knows what to believe? They, They're they close to have broken it. They tied. Who knows? <laughs> so now we have a we a have discrepancy. Discrepancy. <laughs> but oh, whatever. They're close. They have a lot of sacks. But I think this was very impressive on Saturday. Is run defense. They only allowed three first downs on the ground, and that's a really decent running Pittsburgh team with Najee Harris. And they were really effectively able to take it away. And it's not like the Colts led from the jump, er, and then uh, you oh know, no, they, they it they was a to, bad start. Yes, another bad start. It was looking like oh no, here we go again. And then Mitch Trubisky throws a throws a bad interception. That's and why of I course told you everything changed. You just wait for Mitch to make a mistake or multiple mistakes. I mean, he couldn't even sneak it in without fumbling the football. So uh, really impressive with uh, what uh, the Colts are able to do on the ground defensively several texts rolling in at four six eight six two uh people disagree with your shane steichen coach of the year talk one person saying d'amico ryan's coach of the year sorry another saying coach of the year houston coach and cleveland coach that being d'amico ryan's and then kevin stefanski and cleveland no i think there's they're both good points because i think you can make especially d'amico ryan's Mm -hmm. i think what he has done in houston with a much worse roster with a much worse roster yes so I think that's a, a great, you can make a great case for D'Amico Ryans. I think if the Colts or the Houston make the playoffs, that coach will win yes. coach of the year, I think. I but it's agree. a great point about D'Amico Ryans. Uh, a couple other texts. Shane is everything we wanted Frank Reich to be. You didn't say Jeff Saturday? You wanted to <laughs> say Jeff Saturday? Well, here's the thing. I mean, Frank Reich was super aggressive offensively as well, right? It just, it always seemed to be either not work or they got too cute with the play call. Meanwhile, Shane Steichen seems to be just more effective Well, do you, on those part kind of, of toss-up calls. Part of me feels bad for Frank Wright. Can that dude be a be a, a head coach at a, with a program that has a quarterback? Because if you're blaming Frank Reich for what happened in Carolina, like I, I think you're wrong. No, you gotta I, blame exactly. Ownership. That's what I'm saying. Like Frank Reich, too, he just played with a bunch of washed-up quarterbacks in Indianapolis, then he gets the job in Carolina and has handed Bryce Young, and we've seen how that has gone. At the very least, it's a rookie quarterback still finding his way, yet Frank Reich is the fall guy because for some reason Carolina thought they could be good this year after trading their (laughs) best offensive player in DJ Moore to the Bears for the number one pick. Uh, But I feel bad for Frank Reich. One of these days, he'll actually be a head coach with a team that actually has a decent quarterback, but... I think Frank Reich is sitting at home and say, yeah, give me Gardner Minshew. I could have been a heck of a lot better in Indianapolis too. Whether he would have been or not remains to be seen. But definitely the Colts finally addressed the quarterback room, both in the draft and in free agency. And look what it's done for him. Sitting eight and six this morning. Yes. Uh, another text I want to get to. Um, the best thing Shane did was bring in a backup quarterback that could start for a lot of teams. Oh, I fi- like I said, finally Indianapolis, when you looked at it, and whether it was Steichen, whether it was Ballard, whoever, both of them working together, 
is the importance of a backup quarterback. I saw a stat yesterday, only seven quarterbacks. I think it's less now. Six quarterbacks, I think, have taken every snap for their team in the AFC this year. If you don't have a backup quarterback, a competent backup quarterback, then you're in trouble. I mean, look at Cleveland. They're on what? Their fourth quarterback yeah. that has started a game this year? Yeah. And Flacco goes out and throws for 374 yards and two touchdowns. Absolutely looking absolutely terrible in the first half. I mean, who's to say you need a backup quarterback? You need a third-string quarterback? You need to be able to call a seasoned veteran in Flacco and sign him to be a starting quarterback? So it keeps going on and on, but but you at the very least need a dude that is comfortable behind center as your backup, and the Indianapolis Colts have that. They They couldn't even find a starter for a couple years to fill that role. Now they feel like they have two of them. Uh, Coming up on the other side from the Colts having success to Purdue just down the road at Gamebridge Fieldhouse at the same time Saturday, having success as the Boilers take down another number one. We'll get to that next here on Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Final text thought on the Colts uh, coming in. Uh, CK Colts beat one winning team all year, loving that third place schedule. Um, yeah, I mean, but, but Come on what's now. the criticism? We're not all you can about- do is win the games in front of you. And this was a team that people expected, some people, two, three, four games. We're not talking about the Colts being a Super Bowl contender here. If they were a Super Bowl contender and only beaten one winning team, that's a discussion. <clears throat> Dallas. But it's not. They're just, they're winning eight games. No, in, in no world... Did anybody have the Indianapolis Colts at least with eight wins with three games left? Some people had them at seven, eight wins. They could win 10 games. And if if everything goes right perfectly, they can win 11 games. Be wild. Yes. What has not been wild is Purdue and how they've just methodically taken down every team, well, except Northwestern, in their path this year. (laughs) Purdue will likely be back to number one. Uh, when the polls come out later this afternoon. But Purdue has, has answered that question, I'd, I'd say rather emphatically, on who steps up beyond Zach Eady. Because it doesn't matter who it is, someone will step up. And on Saturday, it was not just Fletcher Lawyer, who had 18 points in the first half as the Boilers shot 58% from the field, but also Braden Smith as well, as the pair of guards had a bounce back after Lawyer struggled against Alabama. They took down Arizona. And look, all the talk was, oh, Purdue is going to have trouble with Caleb Love, who, yeah, he scored, what, 29, but 20 in the second half. Made the game a lot tighter. Um, and Umar Ballo inside, and yes, he he got some dunks. But, I mean, Zach Eady had a career high for assists on Saturday. The Boilers just continue to take care of teams in their path. And I, I think the biggest takeaway from this for Purdue is is that they will play anyone anywhere and they will most likely beat you. Fletcher Lawyer with a big game. Team high 27 points. Tied a he season high. fire, particularly in the first half as Purdue came out hot, led by 11 at the end of the first half against the number one team in the country. And just a, a complete performance. Another complete performance by Purdue. And We've reached an important point with the Boilermakers is that this win, in my mind, was was none too surprising. Yeah. We've come to expect this level of play from the Boilermakers. 
it is no longer a surprise. It is no longer, hey, did you see what Purdue did? It is expected. And that is a difficult plateau to reach as a program is when you are expected to go out and play top teams well and beat top teams. Yet there was nothing surprising of what Purdue did on Saturday at Gamebridge Fieldhouse over the number one ranked team in the country. Nothing. And it's, and it's not just the conversation around Zach Eady. Now the national conversation is finally catching up, saying, hey, look at these guards. I mean, Braden Smith and Fletcher Lawyer torched Arizona. And all the criticism is going to be directed at those two guys all season long. If Purdue loses or if Purdue struggles, right? And if they struggle, everyone's going to criticize them. That's just the nature of the beast. That's, that's how this is going to go. And Purdue withstood a, a seven-minute uh, field goal drought in the second half. Uh, Arizona came back, made it close, were able to pull away at the end, but um, this is a team that all the pieces are in place. They're ready to go. Now, they have that NBA-level guard? I don't know. That's still the question that I always have. You know, good teams that win championships have NBA-level guards. Raiden Smith and Fletcher Lawyer are really good college basketball players. Are they NBA players? I don't know. Um, you know, is Miles Colvin, who's on the bench, does he become more of a contributing factor later in the season and, and become that player who checks that box? Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. Not this year. But th- that's the literally the only question mark I have. And that's just like a, a resume builder, right? That's the only thing I have. But you look at the schedule. I mean, what what more can they do at this point? And I understand that we even say this, that it all comes down to March. But what more can they do in the regular season? I mean, you beat Xavier, uh, you beat Gonzaga, Tennessee, Marquette consecutively. Five teams they've played in the top 15 already this season, and they're 5-0 and against them. Yeah. Uh, you beat Alabama in a game you didn't even play well in the first half. You are down double digits at one point. Uh, you took down a number one team in Arizona, which Purdue took down a number one in 2000. And we were doing some research, and it was very difficult to find. We put our two heads together, yes. our two college degrees together, and finally found it with the Purdue. So everybody was saying this is the third win yes. over an AP number one team in all time for Purdue. The other one was in what, 2000, yeah. also beating Arizona? At then Conseco Fieldhouse in Indy. But nobody had the other, the third win over a number one. And you and I were going back and forth like, did they beat Indiana when Indiana was number one at one point? No. So we've... So we, we Both of us started going year by year. This is the lives we lead. Started going year by year on Wikipedia. <laughs> I, was, I was texting you like, hey, I can't find this. Can and you I was find like, this? I had just put my son to bed, and I was like, yeah, I'm laying in bed. I'll, 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 I'll tackle this. And uh, found it, luckily, 1979. It was a win over number one Michigan State in mid-January. And uh, by our powers combined, figured it out. So those are the three wins over number one AP number one teams for the Purdue Boilermakers. But I, I think the most impressive thing to me is Fletcher Lawyer, Braden Smith. It was always a question last year, even when they were playing well, was eventually you knew they were going to hit a wall. Yes. And they did. And yet you look at those two combined 53 points on Saturday against the number one team in the country. There's going to be no better team that they play over the course of the season than Arizona. They may play some comparable teams, but nobody better. Certainly and, not in Big Ten play. No, not at all. And yet, their guards that were much maligned last year for good reason and were a big reason why this team lost to a 16 seed 
came out and scored 53 points against the number one team in the country. Where is that offense coming from outside of Zach Eady? That was the question all season long last year. It burned him. That's no longer, in my opinion, a question with this year's Purdue team. It's not where, it's who. Who is the who. offense outside of Zach Eady? And it will be someone different, perhaps, or multiple, like we saw on Saturday with Braden Smith and Fletcher Lawyer um, having big performances. Uh, text rolling in at 46862. CK, if Purdue doesn't make a deep, deep run in the big dance this season, something is seriously wrong. Agreed. I, I, I agree. Yes. I, totally. I don't know what else to say. Like, th- this team has all the pieces. They just have to execute. I'm not worried about the first round, right? I mean, it felt like a complete fluke. Ups. I mean, I wouldn't put anything past them. I'd be worried about every game in the tournament if I'm Purdue, to be honest. But you can only hammer it over the head for so much when it's three months away, three plus months away. So Purdue is doing everything it needs to do right now. Does that have any bearing on March? Not necessarily. But I think what we're seeing is a Purdue team that's much more comfortable this year as being a team offense as opposed to a one-man offense like they were last year. Purdue gets the win over number one. Meanwhile, IU hosting number two, Kansas and Bloomington on Saturday, and the Hoosiers come up short. What's the takeaway from this game for Indiana? We'll debate that next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Wow, some some old-school Mellencamp. All right. What is this, like 2002? Uh, 2001 is what I 2001. Know. Yeah. Wasn't this the theme song for the then Indy Racing League that year? Was it really? Yes. <laughs> okay. I, I believe it was. What does this song have to do with racing? I, I don't know. Uh, I like this song. Solid song by Mellencamp. Yeah. So it, it was him and then his former wife, Elaine Irwin Mellencamp, I yes. think, in the music video. Yep. Oh, yeah. Blast from the past. Gosh, 21 years old. <laughs> 21 years. 22 years since that song came out. Yeah, and I say old school because it's not a classic per se. No, like classic Mellencamp is the stuff from the 80s. Yeah, 80s, early 90s. Yeah, for sure. But this is like classic new Mellencamp, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Oh, what are we talking about? Speaking of <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Mellencamp. What, what a segue. That I was asked John Mellencamp <laughs> about Indiana. <laughs> You know, we we joke about how you never play the music to have any tie-in to a <laughs> topic he, or he, something. Does he still go to? Yeah, I, he, he still goes to games on go? occasion. I don't know if he was. I didn't. I didn't catch it if he was there or not. But he's usually at games like that. Remember, he brought Meg Ryan a couple yeah. times and yep. Christy Brinkley and. Um, but yes, Mellencamp obviously a big IU fan. The Hoosiers with a big game against Kansas on Saturday afternoon, and they started hot. In they fact, did. Indiana had a double-digit lead for most of the first half. Trey Galloway had a career day with 28 points. Things were looking good for the Hoosiers. Unfortunately, they could not close down the stretch as IU fell to number two Kansas, 75-71. to 71. And I know everyone wants to talk about that out-of-bounds play late where Kansas was awarded possession after Ware tried to save from going out-of-bounds. But look, IU was already trailing at that point. That was not the deciding play in this game. Correct. I think the yeah, deciding I mean, play, it, it, I don't think there was any one particular play. It was just that IU in the second half cooled off, as expected. And again, 
yeah, you got 30 points from your two starting guards. Problem is Gabe Cups is an offensive liability. And I'm going to keep hammering that uh-huh. home because I get people love Gabe Cups. He's a zero on offense. He's a zero on offense. Yeah. I mean, yeah, great. He scored 11 points against Auburn. IU also lost by 28 that game. Yeah. So to me, the biggest problem facing this team is a simple one. It's just the fact that until Xavier Johnson is hurt, I can't trust him to to show up in these kind of games and get a win because they don't have anything offensively. Defensively, he's a liability, not to the level that he is on offense. Yeah, he's not turning the ball over constantly, but there's just, there's not a lot there. And you got to, like, yes, one turnover. That's great, but he also only had one assist. So the, the, the issue is offensively, Indiana needs more. And this is just the, the reality of... This is where IU is. Yeah. Effectively. Uh, I, if it, you feel bad for Gabe Cups because he's being thrust into this position. He's yeah. a true freshman. You he, know? He, so, th- this was not expected of him. Not expected to be a guy that has to come out and start against the number two ranked team in the country. Um, uh, it's unfortunate. But here, here and we have a great text that we'll read here in a second about yes. Indiana. Is... What I said on Friday was my expectations for Indiana was Indiana would compete. They looked competent. They didn't get blown off the floor like they did against UConn and even against an unranked Auburn team. They achieved that. They looked like they belonged. They played competently for 40 minutes. They 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 really challenged Kansas, particularly in that first half. But that also tells you where Indiana is overall. That's the expectation we have for Indiana. We talked to the previous previous segment about Purdue and nobody was surprised about what Purdue did to the number one ranked team in the country on Saturday. That's where Purdue is as a program. We've reached the point with the Boilermakers where no matter what, who they beat top five, top 15 teams in the, in the country so far this season, that it's not surprising. It is expected from Indiana or Purdue. Unfortunately with Indiana, you don't expect that. That's a step forward when, hey, you don't get blown off the floor against a top opponent. That's where the expectation is for Indiana right now. And it's it's program-wide, it's fandom-wide, because a guy that achieved back-to-back NCAA tournament appearances, not wins, not Final Fours, not Sweet 16, appearances, gets a seven-figure race. That's where Indiana is right now. And unfortunately, it was a win in my mind for the Hoosiers on Saturday because they didn't lose by double digits. And that, unfortunately, is where Indiana is. Yeah. Uh, here's the way I look at this. Yes, they didn't embarrass themselves. But you shouldn't be embarrassing yourself at home anyway. Right. right? Uh, so IU can still get up for a big home game. Yes, fan base can do it. They had the, the checkerboard, right? Yeah. The, the red and white stripes look great. Um, but here's the thing. There are no moral victories. I'm not like, this is a team that's gone to back to back tournaments. It's not like they're trying to completely rebuild the program. No moral victories here. Yeah. They didn't embarrass themselves. Unfortunately, the way I look at it is this is a huge missed opportunity. You have a, a prime non-conference game, an opportunity for a big win, something that I use not really done in Mike Woodson's tenure. Yes. I understand. They beat Xavier on the road last year and Purdue. Uh, well, non-conference. Ah, okay. Uh, they beat Xavier on the road last year. Yes, I understand you beat North Carolina, who was ranked in the top 10 at the time last year. Um, North Carolina was a dud. We we knew that was happening last year, even as IU beat them with ease. Um, I, I think that's, that's part of it. Also, Louisville didn't count this year. 
UConn was a blowout. Auburn was a blowout. Yes, Kansas, you you played well. But, like, at some point, you need to find a way to win some of these games. And I get it. They're 3-1 and one against Purdue under Mike Woodson. That's great. IU fans love that. But at, at some point, it, don't schedule these games if if you're not going to be able to be competitive. At least IU was competitive on Saturday because they certainly weren't in the other two marquee non-conference games this year. 46862, the text line 46862. CK, Saturday was just where IU is as a program. The talent discrepancy wasn't large. The biggest mismatch was on the bench. Kansas makes a defensive switch, and IU completely abandons everything that had been working. Kansas never abandoned Dickinson and got points out of every timeout down the stretch. Just an average program, talking about Indiana. It was very much another example of a really good slash great college basketball coach in Bill Self. He's one of the best as much as, as it much as you hate to say it. it. Yes. I can't stand the guy, but out, he is one of the best. Out coaching and out, um, I gotta say, out scheming Mike Woodson. I, I don't understand the infatuation with Mike Woodson with Indiana fans. Is it the recruiting? Is it the ties to the NBA? Because I'm tired of hearing about it. I'm tired of hearing about all the four and five stars that were behind the bench at Assembly Hall on Saturday. Who cares? You, you bring in, uh, you know, you bring in Mbako. This is still an average team. Okay. You bring in um, Malik Renu. This is still an average team. Jalen Hood Shafino. It's still an average team. I don't care about stars. And, and IU fans quit caring about stars. Uh, Tamar Bates is a four-star dude. What have you seen out of Tamar Bates the first two seasons with Indiana? Next to nothing. Like, stop. Stop caring. Star chasing. Star chasing. Star chasing. Oh, my gosh. Did you see who was at the IU Kansas game? Who cares? You lost the game. But that's just how IU fans roll. Because they have to find something. They have to find something to get positive about. Because Lord knows you can't get excited about this. And Mike Woodson... I just don't understand why people give him a pass because he's recruiting well. You still don't have good teams. The talent that they have, and and granted, I will give them a a bit of a pass Saturday because they didn't have Xavier Johnson. Because I think if they had Xavier Johnson on the floor for that game, they win that game based on how they played. I really do. But they got their ass handed to him by UConn. No, I'm talking about there. the Kansas game. No, I they, know, but I'm saying yeah, Xavier Johnson with played earlier this season when he was yeah. on the floor. Well, UConn, I think, is, in my opinion, they should be the favorite to win the national championship right, but, based on how they played this but season. But it's evidence of where IU basketball is. Yes. That's the thing. That's what we're talking about with Purdue and where they're at and IU and they're there at. Yes, I know. Purdue lost to a 16 seed. I get it. But it's a program that you expect every single game that they're going to go out, they're going to win. They have a really good chance of winning. Indiana, you just hope they don't embarrass themselves. And that was really the hope. That was the low expectations I had for the Hoosiers on Saturday is at the assembly hall. You knew the crowd was going to be into it. You knew it was going to be a good energetic crowd. Don't embarrass yourself in front of your fans. That's where the expectation is for Indiana now. And they check that box. So many people are just satisfied with it. That, well, IU competed. Yeah, they were up double digits. But, and they probably should have won the game, but, you know, at least they didn't get blown off. That's where you're at with Indiana. Indiana used to be where Purdue is. You say, you know what? Anytime, anywhere, any place, IU's going to put up a fight and win a fair amount of games against good programs. Not anymore. Not anymore. But apparently in Bloomington, that gets you a seven or a seven figure 
race. And Mike Woodson. One other note this hour, Purdue Fort Wayne, they get a win over Bethune Cookman, all starters in double figures as Purdue Fort Wayne improves to 11 and 1 on the season. Their Break best, up the Dons. Best start, right, in program history. Coming up on the other side, we'll kick off hour number two. Forget the wild card. The Colts have a shot at the AFC South. We'll take a look at the playoff picture and where things stand. Plus, Purdue passes yet another poll test. So they have the Week 6 AP poll box to check off. Now, it's the net rankings on a particular date. We'll get to that. And IU faces a tough road to the NCAA tournament after not winning a marquee non-conference game. We'll explain that as well in hour number two. Plus, an albino deer will have it all. Hour number two, Caleb and Kenny in the morning, next here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Hour number two, Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kenny, thanks for joining us on your Monday. Final week. In fact, one week away from Christmas. Hard to believe. Are you all done shopping? Um, Large gifts, yes. I just got to do some stocking stuff, but I have a list for that. Do you know how many Christmas gifts I've bought this season? Zero. Zero. (laughs) And I don't have to. The wife and I don't exchange. Like we've, we've early in our marriage, we didn't have much money. We're like, you know, we're not going to worry about it. And then we just kind of kept it down with kids. We just worry about them. I have not bought a single Christmas gift this year. Not even like a stocking stuffer. Nope. Nothing. Now, I may be You're put to proud work. of this? Yes. Yes, I am. <laughs> I may be put to work this week and say, hey, while you're in town, can you pick this, that? The, okay, I'll do that. But I haven't even had to do that yet. But in terms of me buying for someone else, I have not done a single thing. Wow. Real gift giver, Justin Kinney. Well, I let my wife do it. She <laughs> handles everything. So, yeah. I mean, I'll be, You can't handle anything on your own? Well, obviously not. <laughs> Bet everyone's better off if I have the minimum amount of responsibility. So. I'm perfectly fine with this, and uh, hopefully this tradition continues because I can get on board with this. I say this like I'm some kind of hero, but we were talking last night. Uh, we do this like one of our friends does like a Christmas light tour where we drive around. So gotcha. we did this last night, and we were talking about putting up Christmas lights, and my wife's like, yeah, and Caleb complains the whole 30 minutes that we put, put up the one <laughs> strain of lights outside. That is true. hate oh, doing it every man. year. It does look nice, but what I hate doing Scrooge. it every year. Oh, well. Anyway. That's what men do. We like to complain about things and then try to weasel out of other stuff. And <laughs> yes. For me, it's been having to buy gifts. I've yeah. not had to buy a single wow. gift. It's year. impressive in a way. I got seven days to go. Let's see if we can keep this streak intact. I, I don't think you'll be able to keep it intact. Oh, I'll try. <laughs> Whatever I could possibly do. 46862 is how you reach us on the text line. If you have thoughts on the Colts, Colts getting the win on Saturday afternoon, and we'll discuss the playoff picture here momentarily also don't forget you can stream us 1380 thefan.com via the 1380 the fan app or on your smart speaker you can listen in for free on any of those options and don't forget you can sign up for breaking sports news uh text fan to 46862 you can be a part of the conversation and even sign up for our free fan club email list emails go out on mondays around noon or so and you'll get uh, a full schedule for the week contest info uh, and more each and every week. All right, so the Colts get that win. So we reset the playoff picture. And things are looking really good for Indianapolis, right? I, I mean, there's there's no way to to doubt it. 
You have three teams tied at eight and six in the AFC South. Now, the biggest factor is the fact that the Jags hold the tiebreaker over the Colts since they went 2-0 over the Colts. So you got to keep that in mind. The division, though, to me, when you look at this Colts team, getting a wild card spot is a crapshoot based on the logjam of teams that you have in the standings. The only safe way to go about this is to get the division title and the Colts and Texans playing from behind in that aspect because of Jacksonville and their success in the division at 4-1 and one on the season. Although if Trevor Lawrence is out, who knows uh, for any length of time, even a week, what that means for Jacksonville. The schedule, I think, lays out pretty good for Indianapolis. The only road game left next week, Christmas Eve, at Atlanta. That's Atlanta team. It's coming off a bad loss to Carolina. I expect them to bounce back in that game against the Colts. But let's say the Colts even lose that game. Very winnable games at home. Back-to-back weeks to end the season. Uh, New Year's Eve against Vegas and then Houston the week after. That's a TBA game. But I think at the at least the Colts should go 2-1. and one. Yes. Is 10 games, 10 wins good enough to get the Colts into the playoffs? I think so. I think 10-win Colts team gets into the playoffs in some capacity. May not be the AFC, the South Championship, division to crown, but it gets them in. The the Jags schedule, so at the Bucks, so the matchup with two Florida teams, the Panthers and at the Titans. Easy schedule, but if you don't have Trevor Lawrence for that game at Tampa Bay, that's way more of a toss-up. And then the Texans have perhaps the hardest schedule. They have the Browns, the Titans, and at Indy to close out the season. Yeah, so it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Just amazing we're at this point in mid-December talking about the Indianapolis Colts and the playoffs. I never thought in a million years this happened. I didn't expect them to only win three games, but I expected them to win maybe six or seven. Yet here they are eight and six with three games left. And you can make a case they could win all three. I don't think they're losing all three, barring a, a, a monumental collapse. And I don't, with Shane Steichen at the helm, I just don't feel like this team is going to have a, a huge collapse like previous seasons. So it's amazing just where the Colts are right now and the way they're playing. Now winners of what? Six of seven? It's just uh, amazing what they're able to do. And I don't see that ending. I don't necessarily think they win at Atlanta, but I think all they need to do is beat the Raiders and beat the Texans, and they're in. However, the Texans could very well think the same thing. When you look at their three games left, at or excuse me, at home against Cleveland, at home against Tennessee, at Indianapolis, they could conceivably win each of the next two games and set up that winner is in at Indy on January 7th. And I think that would be the biggest, because we've seen this before. We've seen the Indianapolis Colts on the road against Jacksonville week, the final week of the season and lose and not make the playoffs. That would be the biggest litmus, litmus test for Shane Steichen in year one is, hey, when you have a win in your end scenario, can you actually win the football game? And maybe that's setting up for week 18 with the Colts and the Texans. And you, you look at, uh, again, the Titans can can eliminate both just because the Titans are still very much in that conversation. Uh, but I, I think you look at this and, and the Trevor Lawrence injuries to me are a huge factor. 
I mean, C.J. Stroud, is he back this week? I mean, one would think, but you never know. Uh, the Colts are actually in, in a better position injury-wise, go figure, after all the injuries they suffered at the start of the year, and remains to be seen whether Jonathan Taylor comes back. Let's not forget about that aspect in all of this. I don't know if he will, to be honest. Uh, but this is this is a team where Colts-Texans very much could be the Sunday night football flex game in Week 18. Let's keep yes, that in mind. very much so. With a playoff, potential playoff spot on the line. It very well could be. But the Colts need to do their job and the Texans need to do their job to ensure that it happens. And you, you talked about this with Shane Steichen getting a ton of credit, but Chris Ballard should get credit too with, again, evaluating guys like Tyler Goodson, DJ Montgomery, right? Late additions, depth guys. The Colts finally getting depth pieces that they just simply have not had the last couple of years. It's all seemed to come together for Indianapolis. The offensive line playing well enough. The running back room, despite going from Zach Moss to Jonathan Taylor to Zach Moss and now deeping, delving deep into that depth chart, has been reasonably productive. It's had some stints where it hasn't been able to, but other aspects of the game has stepped up, and maybe that's the most impressive thing for this Indianapolis Colts team is the, the, the running game hasn't always been there, week in and week out. But when they're off, it seems like the Colts are able to pass the ball. If the offense isn't doing what it needs to do, the defense seems to come up with big plays. If a defense is struggling, the offense is able to score points. This is not a perfect team by any means. There's plenty of criticisms you can make about the Indianapolis Colts, and we have over the course of the season. But you cannot take away the fact that this morning, the Colts wake up without factoring in tiebreakers, tied for first with eight wins. And nobody in their sane minds ever thought through 14 weeks of the season that the Indianapolis Colts would be 8-6. and six. There's no way. Some people had them at 8 wins at the end of the season. Nobody would have thought they were in a position to reach double-digit victories at this point. No, and I, I think that's the win you take in all of this. Um, it just... It feels like, though, the, when you look at the Jaguars and, and what they did as far as playing their divisional games early on where they just have, again, one game left in Week 18, and that is at Tennessee to close it out. I mean, they have the advantage of playing these teams early with the imbalanced scheduling going on, and you would think Trevor Lawrence would be healthy by then, right? So that's probably not a factor. So they're still in the driver's seat, because if all three teams go 10-7, and seven, Jags have the tiebreaker. That's the one factor that is against the Colts in all of this. But I do think... 10 and 7 gets you into the playoffs. It should, in my opinion. Uh, I mean, you had teams that didn't finish with 10 wins, make the playoffs last year, or some divisional wins. But um, I just, I, I think you get to 10 wins in the expanded format and you're in, in my opinion. I agree. I mean, the Bills are on the outside looking in at the moment, to put it in perspective. But they're playing arguably the best football in the entire yes. NFL right now. Yes. Albeit over two weeks. But they have beaten two good teams. But, man, it's just... Uh, who would have thought at this point? I just keep coming back to it. You can be a Colts hater and all that stuff, but but nobody, nobody thought that this was possible. And I think you look at Shane Steichen, I think you look at Gardner Minshew as maybe the two architects of, of what's going on. 
So, and the Colts currently have the tiebreaker over Buffalo based on win percentage in conference games. Colts six and four in the conference. That's an advantage. Buffalo at four and five. Uh, the Colts currently have the tiebreaker over Houston, obviously by beating them head to head. Um, and Houston at five and four in in the conference as well. Jacksonville six and five in the conference. So the Colts have an advantage there. But again, four and one in the division. Colts three and two. It's it's going to be tight into this final week. If you look at the New York Times NFL playoff picture and their algorithm, it is still a relative long shot for the Indianapolis Colts to win the division. We wake up this morning with the Colts having a 53% chance of making the playoffs. That's 2% less than the Texans, mind you. But the Texans and Colts both have a 20% chance of winning the division. The Jaguars still in a commanding position at 60%. That means they have a 1 in 5 chance of winning the division, yet they have an over 50% chance of making the playoffs. I think the path for the Colts, even at 10-7, and seven, barring a complete collapse by the Jaguars, is a wild card team. And we'll see if that is able to come to fruition. But you look at the Buffalo Bills still sitting out of the playoffs, yet they're still at a higher percentage to make the playoffs than the Colts, 71%. Update also in the Jets. They are at 0%. <laughs> they have been eliminated from the playoffs, but for some reason, Aaron Rodgers is coming back and we should all he's, care about he's it. He's got to be the hero. I mean, hero for what? You're eliminated from the playoffs. What's it matter? He comes back and they win a game and everyone feels like the season everyone, is salvaged. I, don't I guess. Know. Who knows? It's, but, uh, it's very dumb. I agree. We'll see because the Colts have been in this position before. In terms of when and you're in type thing and, and just haven't been able to climb over the hump. But if you can figure out a way to win at Atlanta, it helps a lot. Your your chances winning, uh, if you can win Atlanta, is about 70% chance to make the playoffs if you, you can win at that point. But we've kind of said that each and every week, and the and the and the Colts have answered the bell. Winners of six of their last seven, and really, okay, every week is next is is the next biggest week for Indianapolis. Said that a couple weeks ago. We said it before Saturday's game. This is a must for the Colts to stay in the playoff race. Now they face another game, in which you're looking at it and say, to have a really good chance of making the playoffs, they have to go to Atlanta and win. It's just every week it magnifies the pressure on the Indianapolis Colts. And contrary to previous years, the Colts have been able to rise to the occasion, at least so far this year. Yeah, so far. That remains to be seen if they're able to do that uh, beyond this year. Coming up on the other side, Purdue has passed yet another poll test. Once again, another metric to check the box for the Boilers and their odds at winning a national championship. That's on the other side here on Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kenny, thanks for being with us. You need to play some Christmas music. Yeah, I guess I should. I should start getting around. It is the week before. So, week from today, in fact. And it was looking like Christmas earlier. The, 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 yeah, the, the snow, snow has stopped. stopped. Unfortunately, we're done. No more snow today. It was a good run. Yeah, but uh, no. Expect what I heard. It was like it was supposed to snow around the morning drive and the evening drive. I was like, well, that's terrible. So but we'll see. Especially up north, uh, Kosciuszko County, Lagrange, all that stuff. You're supposed to get more than us down here. But uh, 
looked like snow when we pulled in this morning. Big fat flakes coming down. But all right, we'll start playing some Christmas music this week. <laughs> I mean, you, you got this week. So. I do. Yeah. Well, you <laughs> criticized me trying to play it too early, but so I better oh, take the, advantage while I could. Yeah. I mean, you can. <laughs> I didn't know when it was too early. Is is, that, is December eighteenth too early? No. Okay. No. 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 We'll no. get on it. I mean, you could you could mix one in, you know, starting December first, and I I won't care. All right. Well, I was or any always, any day after Thanksgiving. I was always afraid of what <laughs> you control you the music. Why are you afraid of me? Uh, that's true. <laughs> Technically, what am I, what you're am my boss, do? though. You what could, am I going to do you about could that? Fire though? me on air if you wanted me wanted to <laughs> for playing Christmas music. The wrong. <laughs> I mean, if you played it in, for if you played it in July, you could even say, "Hey, Christmas in July," and, uh, and I'd, I'd be. You know what? I could buy that argument. I'm just gonna I'm gonna pull out a random Christmas song in April and see what happens. I'll get a look. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, we'll start playing some Christmas music here. Okay. Four, four six eight six two. The text line number four six eight six two. If you're a Purdue fan, you have to be thrilled. What you saw on Saturday, you also have to be thrilled because the metrics are liking the Boilers more and more. So we talked about the Week Six AP poll. I believe what last week. Yep. That came out. And again, Boilers ranked in the top 12. Every champion over the last 20 plus years has been in the top 12 in the week six AP poll. So Purdue checked that box. Now they have checked yet another box because they were ranked in the top five in the net on December 15th. Now we joke about the net rankings all the time, but since the net uh, rankings have started, the champion has come from the top five on December 15th every single time. So that list, Purdue, Arizona, BYU, Houston, and Baylor. Hmm. Now, Baylor got destroyed Housed by Michigan State on Michigan Saturday. State. Uh, Houston still looks pretty good. They won a tight one over Texas A&M. BYU only has one loss on the year. They were looking like a team that could start conference play un- unbeaten. Uh, Arizona, obviously. Purdue, obviously. You look at that list. Purdue, Arizona, and Houston are the teams you probably feel most confident in at, at this point, right? Yeah, I would say so at this point for sure. Um, but I think uh, Purdue's in a in a good spot right now, and it's still all going to depend on what happens. But they're in line for a one seed, and hopefully they won't have to play Fairleigh Dickinson. But we'll see. But um, they're they're doing everything that they need to do. In December. December doesn't necessarily have a bearing on March, but they're doing what they need to do in December. And the metrics continue to favor the Boilermakers. Yes, very much so indeed. And, and for Purdue, I mean, it, again, the only question we have is just, you know, will they get it done in March, right? That's the biggest question. And of course, the, the guard question. The guards are great college guards. Are they NBA guards? That remains to be seen. And that is the one Key ingredient, I mean, you, you, you go by a lot of different factors. You can go by the week six AP poll. You can go by the top five in the net on December 15th. You can go with a combination of things. I usually go by Ken Palm, adjusted offense and defense got to be in the top 20 in both. And, and also make sure the team has an NBA caliber guard. That's usually one of the other key ingredients for teams to win in March. Either way you slice it, Purdue is on that short list. And that's all you can ask for. It, no, it, it definitely uh, is right now for Purdue. I think when you look at the Boilermakers, maybe the only thing that could derail them from a, a, a 
between now and the tournament is is an injury, a key injury. You've seen, and th- that is knock on wood, what Purdue has been able to do in terms of stay healthy. You look at Indiana losing Xavier Johnson, and you, you hope you get him back if you're a Hoosiers fan. But Purdue has been able to stay healthy. And that, in the end, sometimes can be the difference. And so, for Purdue, knock on wood, obviously Edie, but even some of those guards, you need them to stay healthy. Yes, and that's a, another factor. Unfortunately, we don't want to go further in talking about that, uh, but it is a factor because we've seen this happen to Purdue before in the we postseason. absolutely have. And so, we, I mean, when you look at Purdue overall and what they've been able to do, and they're shooting close to 50% from the field, they're shooting 40% from three, they're shooting over 70% from the free throw line, so you're checking off those metrics. They're rebounding at a very good clip. They play pretty solid defense. It's just you're you're looking for a weakness right now, and it's very difficult to find one. It is. How how does that impact going into the Big Ten season? I, I almost look at it this way is, I've learned more about Purdue in the non-conference than I will in the conference. If that makes sense. They could play 20 games and go 15 and five. And I still feel pretty good about Purdue because crazy stuff happens at the big 10 season. Going on the road is difficult. We said it, you know, they had to go to Northwestern and lose their only loss of the season. I feel like I've seen what I want to see out of Purdue to make me think that they should be, should be a final four contender in the big dance. But if they start on the road and if they go to Minnesota and lose on a Tuesday night, if they lose at home to a Illinois team or something like that, I guess that's not going to set off the warning bells like it will for some people because I've seen them take on some of the best teams in the country that will be there in March and handle those teams, beat those teams. So I think I, I, I feel very good about Purdue. And no matter what happens out outside of a, a, a collapse in the Big Ten, they go fifteen and five. They go even fourteen and six. I still feel really good about where Purdue is at entering the tournament. Uh, nothing has changed, right? They they've I would say based on the non conference, and yes, I understand they played two Big Ten games mixed in there, but the bulk of the non conference schedule, and they have a couple gimme games, including one this week against Jacksonville. Um, Purdue has not only ticked every box, but I, I'd say I've, I've been even more impressed with what they've done because they have gone through a gauntlet of a schedule and something that Rob Blackman said Friday um, that I thought was really notable was the fact that you know Matt Painter usually sees what kind of team he has and schedules the non-conference games based on what he thinks. So if they have a mid-level team, mid-level non-conference schedule. Elite team like this year, elite non-conference schedule, Um, a bad team. You're going to make it a little bit easier. And I think he went out and scheduled one of the toughest non-conference schedules. And they beat one of the teams as a tougher one, to put it in perspective. So Purdue is is checked every box. Now it just comes down to, can they finish? I think the biggest thing for me from one year to the next with Purdue has been three-point shooting. Last year, when they were in trouble... And Fairleigh Dickinson in other games, 
and needed to make shots they couldn't. They were 277th in the country last year in three-point shooting percentage, 32.2%. Right now, they are seventh in the country, making over 40% of their threes. If Purdue continues to shoot at that clip, even drops into the high 30s, they're going to be tough to beat. But last year, when they needed to make outside shots, we saw Fletcher Lawyer go broke at times over the course of the season. Braden Smith, right? Had really nobody off the bench that could hit a big three. I look at that thing. When we talk about the offenses, that's been the biggest change for Purdue is being able to have that consistent outside threat to complement Zach Eadie. It's true inside out. And that's the biggest thing. Going from 277th in the country to 7th in the country in shooting threes. That'll help. A little bit. <laughs> Certainly. And that was that was the red flag last year, all last season, right? Was three-point shooting. And, and again, it's just comes down to, I understand, we talk about this all the time, Purdue has to do this in March, otherwise it doesn't matter. But what more can they do right now? And, and that's Not where much. we're at. Not much. Meanwhile, a team that can do a lot more right now is Indiana. They face a tough road to the NCAA tournament after Saturday's loss. The Kansas. We'll explain that next here on Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. All right, there you go. Right on cue. Christmas music. Happy now. Some Hall of Notes. Yeah. Jingle Bell Rock. We watched um, Santa Claus over the weekend. Uh-huh. Adding to our list of Christmas movies. I hadn't... Maybe I hadn't seen that movie in quite some time. Yeah. Of course, we both fell asleep. But, <laughs> of course. You know... Is it that my, bad? No, no, it's just, we were tired, and anytime I see a movie I've watched, you know, a million times, I'm less likely to stay awake. Right. Just because I already know what happens. Yep. But I, I, I fell asleep right when Charlie was going to the North Pole. Okay. With his dad, and I woke up basically at the very end of the movie. So, <laughs> <laughs> like, the most critical part besides, you know, Santa falling off the roof, you I missed. Out. <laughs> you were done, though. Now, do you can you watch Santa Claus two? Is Santa that Claus was two okay. decent? Santa Claus three is bad. Uh, yeah, I don't really remember that one being. Very Have you good. watched the show, The Santa Clauses? No, there's a show. Yeah, oh, I didn't. Know I think that. it's in season two now this year. Uh, with is it Tom good? Allen or Tim Allen? Uh, not Tom Allen. <laughs> Tom Allen. <laughs> um, Tim Allen. Um, I've only seen bits and pieces. I know the wife and kid have watched it, but um, I, it must have been good enough to get a season two. I guess. I don't yeah. Know. So, yeah. uh, is there a Christmas movie you watch every year? Yeah, it's the one you hate. Oh, Christmas, Christmas story? story. Yeah, Christmas okay. story and Christmas vacation are the two. Okay, the the two. Thing. Well, Home Alone, Home Alone two, and I always watch It's a Wonderful Life. Those are like the guaranteed ones for me. Is there one that you don't watch that you can't stand? Ah, uh, I don't know if it can't stand it. Um. No, I don't think uh, you know. I, I know this is going to go against our generation. I, I'm not the biggest fan of Elf. Really? Yeah. I, I mean, it's good. It's not up at the pantheon of Christmas movies for me. I think it came out just a little bit later. I like Will Ferrell. It just, I don't know. It's uh, it's not one of those that if I'm switching through the guy and it's on, like I have to watch it. Like yeah. if I turn on Christmas Vacation or Christmas Story, but I'm just not not. Really I've a big seen Elf, Elf fan. a million times, but it's. It's not something I necessarily watch every year anymore. Yeah. I'm not a Miracle on 34th Street or It's a Wonderful Life. I, I get the point of what I've I don't seen think I've ever actually life. seen Miracle on 34th Street, which is bad. 
It's it's solid. I mean, it's not a it's not one of those that I have to watch every year. It's decent, but they're long too, man. Boy, are they long. <laughs> like it's a wonderful life is just a grind, man. It is. It's it a is good lengthy. payoff at the end. Yeah, for sure. But it's a grind to get through sometimes. That's true. That's true. Four six eight six two. If you have a favorite or least favorite Christmas movie, uh, you can let us know on the text line at four six eight six two. One final thought on Purdue. Someone texting in. Uh, CK, another plus for Purdue would be playing well, but losing a close game on Friday in the Big Ten tournament and taking the rest of the weekend off. That I is an excellent point. I hate that idea. I think the Big Ten tournament is an absolute grind. If you don't have to win to be in, lose early. And win a couple games, ensure your number one seed or whatever it's going to be. But yeah, man, Saturday, Sunday, you find out who you play. You can play as early as Thursday at noon, man, nah, just lose Friday. Be done with it. Get it, get it over with. And, you know, yes, I understand Purdue won the Big Ten tournament and they didn't play until it was a Friday night and they played fairly Dickinson. So, like, there was plenty of time in the layoff. But if you can avoid that, why not, right? Or Think just, about how they wasted David Jenkins' best run of the season oh, in the right? Big Ten tournament. In the Big Ten tournament. <laughs> Could you opt out of the Big Ten tournament? That'd be a thing at some point. Speaking of opting out, did you see the Tulane quarterback, Michael Pratt, Pratt opting out of a bowl game for Tulane? You see his reasoning? No. He wants to prep for the senior bowl. <laughs> are you, yep. are you oh, serious? Absolutely serious. Get real. Uh, now, he's the guy who, who would be helped by the senior bowl. Don't get me wrong. But wouldn't he be more helped by the bowl game? You would think. He said he's turning pro, begin his preparation for the upcoming Reese's Senior Bowl and the 2024 NFL Draft. Yikes. Just when you think you've seen it all, folks. Yeah. Anyway, let's talk IU basketball. Yeah, IU basketball. So, without that Kansas win factoring in, because again, this is a very winnable game, IU has zero quality non-conference wins. Zero. So for for Indiana, I mean, you go through the non-conference, there's not a lot of positive things to say. I, I mean, you're not doing well in the rankings. You're 79th in Ken Palm. Indiana State is at 53, to put that in perspective. You don't have any quality non-conference wins on the year. Um, you're a team that is played without your, your point guard, who you expected to have to be a key contributor. And yes, Khalil Ware has looked good. McKenzie and Baco's come on. And Malik Renew, if he's not in foul trouble, is a pretty good player, right? But the problem is, yeah, you're 2-0 in the Big Ten, and that's important because when you look at the non-conference being basically a zero and adding to IU's NCAA tournament resume, which it was, now you're in a situation where you have to win probably 12-plus games in the Big Ten to feel safe for an NCAA tournament bid, especially because it's a down year in the Big Ten. That's the biggest thing because you could say, well, the Big Ten's an absolute grind. It's top-heavy. There'll be eight tournament teams. Yeah, go in there and go 500 and you're going to get in. But not this year. It's not a league that's very deep. You're thinking right now six, maybe seven teams are going to get bids out of the Big Ten. So Indiana has work to do. They're off to a good start with a 2-0 and record in the conference, for sure. But they have to go at least... 10 and 8 the rest of the way in the Big Ten to feel good. Make no mistake. And I know it's just December, but you can also, things are starting to come into focus in terms of bracketologies and all that stuff. Indiana is not in 
when you check most bracketology. They're not even in the final four teams out. A couple of them do next four teams out, and Indiana's not even like they're not even close to being on the bubble right now in the in the tournament. And so when you face a Big Ten schedule that's not as daunting as most years in terms of how good the Big Ten is, you have work to do. Going 10 and 10 in this, in this year's Big Ten is not going to be good enough for Indiana. Going 11 and 9, not going to be good enough. You have to go at least 12 and 8 in the league to have a shot, a shot to get into March Madness. And, and that's that's the ultimate problem here is, yes, Indiana is started off 2-0 in the Big Ten, and all these games are going to matter. They're going to count. And they're lucky that it's a down year for, for the conference as a whole outside of Purdue and Illinois at this stage that will give them a better opportunity to actually get double-digit wins in the Big Ten. I know you ha- hate net rankings. Yes. But I think this is just indicative of where IU is right now. Again, they're 79th in Ken Palm. They're 79th in Ken Palm. They're third worst in the Big Ten in net rankings. Only Maryland and Penn State are worse. And Maryland's a team that IU already beat. And Penn State is really bad. So when you're looking at rankings, and Ken Palm's one thing, and they're low in that, but I'm saying net, I know it's it's a lot of people don't like net. We don't like net. But when you look at it, and it is something that the committee uses, there are 12 to 11 teams better than Indiana in net rankings in the Big Ten. They may be sitting 2-0 in the Big Ten right now at a top the league, but based on the net rankings, they're one of the worst Big Ten teams. We'll see how that plays out once we get back into Big Ten play in the new year. But again, they've they've dug themselves a, a pretty tough hole. And the schedule, again, yes, it is a down Big Ten. And they took advantage of two down teams early on. But once the schedule gets rolling after you, you finish off the, the bye games, so to speak, um, you got to be ready to go. And for Indiana, they can't afford, you know, their typical late January, February slump. I mean, you look at Indiana and you, you look at tournament resumes and you know, people make lists, good, good wins, bad losses. What's Indiana's best win at Michigan? I guess. Yeah. And, uh, and Michigan is a team that's sitting six and five. Overall. I mean, yeah. So you have work to do Indiana. I mean, and like like Caleb said earlier in the show, it's a missed opportunity at home against Kansas to get a big win, a marquee victory, and to really put yourself on the map in terms of of the of March Madness right now. But right now, you are an afterthought in terms of bracketologies and predicting the the tournament. And you don't have a lot of big games in the Big Ten to make up that ground because the Big Ten is down. So you have to win twelve. 13 games and even then even if you go 12 and 8 you feel like you better win at least one in the Big Ten tournament. Yes. Correct. And that is if everything goes right. So for Indiana fans you have no margin for error because you didn't build a resume in the non-conference good enough to give you some leeway in the Big Ten. And ultimately it goes down to this final point for me and Matt Painter we talked about this earlier but Matt Painter schedules the non-conference to the level of team expectations Maybe that's a lesson that Mike Woodson needs to learn to help his team. He has a team that he should expect to make the tournament, but they're not a a national contender, right? But he went out and scheduled a pretty elite non-conference schedule. 
Well, I mean, we've been critical too of the weak non-conference schedules that I use had in the past. So I kind of like what they did this year, but it has to pay dividends in the eventually. It has to pay dividends in the big ten. Playing oh UConn and playing Kansas and even Auburn Auburn is that has to pay dividends in the in the in the rest of the regular season. Or what did it mean? Because you didn't beat any of those teams to give you a marquee victory. I mean, meanwhile, you look at at Michigan State. And they've lost to to Duke. They have a win over Butler by twenty, which I, I know Butler's solid, but it's not an elite team by any means. No, but they're a team to, that might make the tournament. You lose might. you lose to Duke by ten or eleven. You lose to Arizona by single digits. You get blown out by Wisconsin, but then you come out and just absolutely destroy Baylor uh, at the Little Caesars Center in Detroit on Saturday, and that all of a sudden is a huge win for Michigan State to take into the non-conference or into the Big Ten. But they, they capitalized on an opportunity to get a win over an elite opponent and have a resume builder of some sort despite losing five times in the non-conference. They have a lot of work to do, to be sure. But if they can put it together in the Big Ten, then you can point to, hey, they housed Baylor by 25 points. That's a big win for them in the in the non-conference. Where is Indiana's marquee win? They don't have one. And that's the biggest missing piece and why their NCAA tournament resume is still in jeopardy. Coming up on the other side, we'll wrap things up. And Albino Deer will give you details on that as we wrap things up. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Final time here, Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. All right, so we've had an Albino Gator an albino giraffe. That was the animal I was trying to think of. Albino giraffe, that's right. We did have um, an albino giraffe. And not giraffe. one, but two albino giraffes. Uh-huh. Now we have an albino deer. All right. Uh, the Pennsylvania Game Commission's website states albino deer have been seen in the state before, but are exceptionally rare. And one was caught on camera walking around a field in Westmoreland County in Pennsylvania. Uh, the A resident who wanted to remain anonymous uh, provided footage to CBS Pittsburgh with video of the all-white deer just wandering casually through the field. Um, one was, a white deer was caught on camera last year in West Seneca, New York. The state experts said that deer ap- appeared to be leucistic rather than albino. The related but al- albinism, complete lack of pigment in the entire body, including the eyes. Well, leucism can leave some pigment in an animal's skin, hair, or eyes. So, albino deer. My biggest question was, why would the person want to remain anonymous uh maybe it's where they live they don't want people to come out to their property and flood their property try to find the deer i guess that kind of makes sense but uh good picture of her video of it just a funky looking deer but uh pretty cool yeah oh absolutely and hopefully um at least that deer could be seen if if a car comes yeah (laughs) Yeah, my boss's kid the hit saving one grace. yesterday. Uh, he's all right. Totaled the car. But Ugh. man. Scary. Uh, they're, they're all over the place. So be careful. Especially today. Slick roads probably, for perspec- especially further north you go. So slick roads plus a deer, albino or otherwise, could be messy. Absolutely. Well, that wraps it up for us today. For Justin Kinney, I'm Caleb Hatch. Dan Patrick up next. The Herd with Colin Coward coming in up at noon. Indian Sports Beat with Jim Coyle from 3 to 4 and the Sports Rush with Brett Rump from 4 to 6. Final up Brett Rump show of the year. We'll still have the show this week, but the final show Brett will be on 
uh, from 4 to 6 coming up today here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM.